Hello, and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. I'm Emily Yoshida. I'm the entertainment editor at The Verge. I'm Luz Lopato. I'm the science editor at The Verge. And we were just talking before we got on air. We've both been in similar positions where we haven't been as online, maybe, (laughs) in the general sense of the word. Um, I've not been checking Twitter. I started not checking Twitter over the weekend and just sort of carried through. I was like, hey, this feels nice. I want to keep not looking at Twitter for a while. It was not a formal uh, anti-Twitter commitment like I've made in the past. And and Liz has been busy. You've just been doing uh, important uh, administrative duties. For those of you who do not know, we are currently hiring a science reporter. We're and hiring. so I have been buried in resumes and making a bunch of phone calls to a bunch of uh, people who are pretty exciting. Um, Should we make this an HR podcast now? I, we could, I guess. But I mean, that's that's literally all I've been thinking about is uh, like these <laughs> this job. Greenhouse. <laughs> um, yeah. But so I, it, it's a little interesting then to to kind of take my head out of this hole of, of, of work that I've been in for the past couple of days and realize that once again, our world is uh, a crazy shit show and um, incredibly depressing. Uh, I somehow managed to not be aware of uh, not one, but two police shootings of black men in the course of, what, 24 hours? Um I think it, it might be slightly more than twenty four hours, 20, but yeah. it was you know it was one 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 guy who was uh, I, 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 sorry I'm I'm struggling to say this because it looked to me like he was shot execution style um, by the police yeah and then as people were sort of digesting that it seems like another um, another black man was shot by police um, and the reason I'm sort of hesitating a lot here is that um, I, I I was pretty much unaware until I opened up Twitter to live tweet a rocket launch. Oh, yeah. No, I, I did. I was unaware until I went on to promote a feature about Mr. Robot. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, I guess it was one of those moments where I was really glad I had switched my Twitter videos to not autoplay because somebody had had tweeted these videos and I just opened up the app and uh, if I had been set to autoplay I I would have just watched a murder. (laughs) Right. Um, But I think it's also interesting the fact that you know we're used to being really um, deeply involved in social media and especially Twitter and sort of these communities where everybody's sort of talking at once and you can feel a groundswell towards something especially depending on the people that you follow and um, and because I wasn't on that you know it it was chillingly easy to ignore for me uh, being a person of of some privilege living in New York and like having been in the country over the weekend like it's incredibly easy to ignore these things, and it just—it was a stra- like it, it just due to the way that, um, due to how I guess this is a, a, the topic that's been kind of around Facebook recently. Everything's sort of self-selecting as far as media goes. You hear the stories that are are social to you, and Twitter. Actually, I follow a lot of people I don't know, and people that will tell me things that I didn't know or make me aware of things that I wasn't aware of, and. Um, and when I'm not 
on there. I, 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 I can miss something like this. And I don't know if that's like miss. It's, it's, it feels a little bit crass to say miss, like it's an episode of TV, a TV show or something. Like obviously this is something of much greater import. But um, it makes you very aware of how information, important information that's vital to how we experience our lives as Americans, how that is shaped by these networks that we've put ourselves on. That's part of it. It's only part of it, though. Because, like, the thing is, this should be reported as news. This should... this. Sh- is my my impulse that this is a major national news story, um, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just speaking here as an editor who's who's not you know a specialist in national news, but who is an editor. Um, but it, it feels to me like a, a a national news story and 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 one that should be getting wide coverage. And I did look at you know the front pages of like for instance like the Times <laughs> um, during this period. Uh, so it's weird to see something that completely dominates social media that isn't being covered quite the same way uh, in the more mainstream sources. And I mean, obviously, this is one of the reasons why people like social media, right? Like, if you know the newspaper isn't going to, to cover a police shooting, you have recourse. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have a way of covering You can it. turn something that wasn't a front-page story into a front-page story by, by, by popular demand and by force of will. Um. But, you know, as as both of us having missed, just not been aware of it, like, if if people, if you're not, if you don't have the, um, if you don't have the, the national news editor on Twitter following this, uh, the national news editor will miss the story, too, even though it's a national story, even though it's an important story. And that's that's one of the things that, like, as a journalist, just kind of chills me. Right. I mean, I remember last... I remember, it wasn't last year, it was two years ago now, in Ferguson, uh, when all that was happening, and uh, and being aware of it first from live streams that were happening on Twitter, and, and, you know, having CNN on at my house, and waiting, waiting for them to start covering it, and it didn't happen for hours and hours before they finally, you know, had some cameras there. Um, you know, some of that's logistical, but some of that just seems like... Um, I don't know. I I don't. I yeah. I I guess this is just an old argument about how TV is less like TV and and cable news is less equipped to uh, tell us the stories that are important to us now, um, or like more beholden to just sort of running the same stories over and over again. But I don't know. I we're just kind of. Uh, <laughs> I clearly just like feeling this out right now because it's still such a fresh short story. This is Thursday when we're talking about it, and um, and it just feels really dismaying. Like I can't, I can't find a. Um, it's hard to find a, a positive thing to say about any of this. Really, it, what <laughs> upsets me, not as a journalist, but just as a person, <laughs> um, is. I wonder when we're going to become totally desensitized to this because it happens so frequently and because we are shown such graphic images of people dying. Like I, I worry that there is, um, a cost beyond the obvious cost, um, which was, you know, two, 
two dead men. Um, but that there is a cost that we will we will acclimate to this in the way that we acclimated to mass shootings with Sandy Hook. Um, yeah, and and we're just going to see more bodies on the front page. Like that scares me too. Yeah, I mean it's this it's the the flawed notion of of any kind of camera or any kind of um, moving image as being an empathy machine, which is like the famous thing that is constantly said about. Um, VR and over and over again. It's like, how much does just seeing the image hurt, uh, help? And then how much does it make people complacent and make it just a new a new aspect of your visual diet? It's just like every once in a while you're going to see a video of a shooting. Like so That's just part of being alive. Like, how, you know, we are, uh, I think we are very flexible creatures and we will, uh, we will adjust to really, really horrible things because uh, I just, think that's maybe in our nature to a degree and i i mean we've seen how easy it is to ignore something like a shooting now um how i don't know it's just yeah anyway we're going to talk um, a little bit more though about um just depictions of violence and uh the exploitation um or uh, thereof or the um or the 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 ways that art can reflect upon um our crazy violent times uh in a little bit because we're going to talk about the purge and the purge election year which came out this last weekend and uh but first we're going to talk a little bit about Beyonce is there anything else you wanted to say though yeah i guess one of the things that i worry about is that even though we have these videos, we don't seem to want to convict police officers. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Well, still waiting on the NRA to tweet. It's been, uh, it's been a while. Uh, this is obviously just right at the crux of, uh, of uh, legal possession or legal carry and, uh, and, and police violence. And as, uh, uh, yeah, it's like, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I look forward to the NRA's deafening silence. I think we all know where they stand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, let's have a quick break for a Beyonce flavored dessert. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so as your rainbow chaser uh, for this um, rather serious discussion, uh, I thought I would uh, mention something entirely frivolous I have been up to, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, testing out the headphones that Beyonce wears in Lemonade. Um, and I love them so much I am afraid of them. Wait, I'm going to Google a picture of these right now. Uh, are these the ones she wears in um, in the sandcastles? Yes, ma'am. All right, all right. Okay, they're like a little, they look a little bit throwbacky and a little bit vintage Yeah, they're a little bit retro looking. They have those like snaps, or not snaps, um, buckles, I guess is a better word. Oh my uh, God, yeah. They've got the little adjusting, uh, what's that, like a toggle? Yeah. Oh my God. Um. I I okay so this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to talk about the sound a little and then I'm going to talk about the look a lot and because um both of these things were really important for the designer of the headphones and so I considered them both in the review which 
if it doesn't go up uh, the same day that this podcast goes up, we'll probably go up very soon. So um, <laughs> uh, they sound fantastic. Like I usually use Bose in-ear headphones. Yes. And they're a little tinny, but they get the job done. And part of the reason I use them is because I am a monster and I destroy everything. Those are um, still expensive, though. Well, they're not. Uh, so they're $100. That's expensive. And these headphones... These headphones are $500. I know. So. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> um, so I'm using, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to um, sort of split the difference by buying something that's expensive but not that expensive. Like if I destroy this after six months of, of use, like my headphones, if I destroy them relatively quickly, I'm not going to feel that pissed about it. But like if I have a pair of $500 headphones and I destroy them after six months of use, I'm going to be furious, you know? But there's probably like like a whole customer service hotline if they're 549. Like there's somebody, there's somebody who will like, like be your shrink while you're waiting for the the person to answer the phone. Like it's like a full concierge service just for owning these headphones. I I sure hope so. (laughs) Um, but, like, they're, they sound so good. Like, it's like having speakers right next to your ears. And that's not really a total surprise because the people who make the guts of the headphones are speaker makers. They make uh, well-regarded tower speakers that are also very expensive. Um, but one of the things that I loved about them is that um, when you listen to anything that is expansive or weird, um, they, they sort of give you the audio room to hear all of the expansiveness and Mm. the tiny little sounds that are like embedded in it. So for instance, I could hear, and it sounded like, uh, it sounded like it was Beyonce's movement relative to the microphone. When I was listening to Lemonade, I could hear her move towards and away. I mean, that could have been an effect that somebody put in in post-production. I'm going to just spell that out. That could be a special effect, but I could hear it. I could hear her take breaths. Um, It was just a very sort of crisp, clear, lovely sound. Hmm. Do you think, what, what were you listening to on it? Were you listening to a streaming service or were you listening to an MP3 or a, or a um, I don't know, a high-def a high <laughs> sound file? Um, so I was pretty much exclusively using Tidal and Spotify. Were you um, using that Tidal premium, though? <laughs> you bet. <laughs> um but yeah, it was. Uh, I, I tested out a bunch of stuff and a bunch of genres from a bunch of eras, and I couldn't figure out like a, a cohesive pattern of what sounded good and what didn't. Because there was definitely stuff that was from the '60s and '70s that sounded remarkable. It was like, oh my god, John Prine sounds so good. Who knew? Um, you know, Emmy Lou Harris. Like, I have um, a couple of her albums on vinyl, and it was comparable. It was not the same. It was not quite as good. But it was comparable to listening to Emmylou Harris on my home sound system on vinyl. <laughs> and, and why? Just because of the depth of the sound in it? I mean, because you're still dealing with the same quality as... Compression. As any, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it had to do with, I think, the depth and also, like, the range. Um, there, again, it just it sounded a little bit more spread out. Hmm. So there was um, a, a more clearly articulated set of highs and lows. Uh, Did you feel just, like you could sense the instruments in the room, like the guitar's over there and the, the, the drums are over there? Or Well, it sort of depended on who I was listening to. Yeah. But sometimes, yes, like particularly with someone like John Prine, um, you know, you can really very clearly hear the picking. Mm. Um, and so that's nice. Um, but there were other things that didn't quite work as well. And I think that, that, that had to do with production decisions that I don't understand very well. 
Um, so, for instance, uh, I, I not only did I listen to Beyonce in the headphones, I also listened to some of the songs she sampled. And so, like, she samples "Don't" uh, on "Don't Hurt Yourself." She samples uh, Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and the Led Zeppelin sounds great. But <laughs> um, I, I listened to a couple of the other things she sampled, including "Spotty," um, which she uses for the horns on "All Night Long," and it did not sound great. It sounded very flat, and in fact, um, it sort of varied. Like some, some, like. This was, like, most noticeable for me in the uh, metal genre where, um, you know, like, Metallica sounds great, Iron Maiden doesn't, Hmm. and Mastodon's album from last year kind of sounded weirdly muffled. And Hmm. I couldn't... I couldn't put a pattern on it, right? Because I was I was talking with Vlad, who was editing me, and he was like, "Oh, well, maybe the older the older stuff just doesn't sound as good in these headphones." And I was like, "Well, no, you know, the John Prine I was listening to was from the seventies. Like that sounded fine. I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you specifically what the decisions were in production that that makes thing that made things sound good or not here, but I think it had to do with where they placed things in the mix. Yeah, I mean, head, headphones to me are are. One of the few gadgets that I I do obsess over, and I obsess over them in a very select way and with a modest budget because uh, the most I've ever spent on a he- pair of headphones is $100, which is a, still a lot of money. I, I want to I yell that. Like, it's a lot of money for a pair of headphones, especially when I burn through them so quickly. But the, the Bose ones have held up. But I do obsess over them, not so much for looks or anything like that, but uh, I... It's like what we were talking about, um, uh, and you, you, uh, we we've talked about this on this podcast. Just the the science of how music affects you physiologically, and I find that with bad headphones, the effect is not as good. With great headphones, you can like suddenly feel a rush of euphoria that you would not feel normally. I don't know if this is something that a lot of people experience, uh, but I definitely do it, especially when it comes to working out. It will change Whoa. how fast I run, like if I have I mean, bad headphones. Straight up, like I so I, I like prog also because I like all of the unpopular genres of music. Get at me. <laughs> um, so I was listening to Toto, uh, and they sounded phenomenal. And then still I listening, was listening to Toto, to, still listening to Toto, the Liz Lopato <laughs> story. Uh, and like, and then I put on um, Funkadelic's "Maggot Brain," mm-hmm. and it's got that first expansive track where the guitar sort of weaves between left and right channels and it was so good I like just about dropped my bag I was like holy cow how did I ever listen to this album in headphones before yeah (laughs) and that's all that's all on Spotify huh well yeah so I I don't know like I I know that there have been um some speakers speaker companies that have really worked hard to translate digital signals to analog sound. And I don't know enough about Sonos Faber to be able to tell you if that's part of what's going on. Hmm. Um, but they they sound phenomenal. It surprises me exactly zero that, like, they sound as good as they, they look um, because Beyonce endorsed them and Beyonce generally knows what she's up to. It's also just conveniently, oh, like, you thought the Beats were the most expensive headphones? I think again, sir. Um, or Bose headphones, yeah. Well, and that's this is the the sort of the the part where we come to the downside of having very nice headphones mm-hmm. uh, because they're gorgeous. Like the 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 leather is is Italian, finely wrought leather. <laughs> um, they they they're making like special limited run bands so that you can have very unique headphones um, by swapping out the band and and getting a limited run. Um, 
you know, they, I mean, people, like, stopped me. <laughs> yeah. um, and what ended up happening was that, like, I had this, like, Lord of the Rings moment where the headphones started talking to me. <laughs> and, like, about my outfits. <sighs> like, you're going to wear that with us? And I was like, oh. Oh, no. And it got progressively worse as I, as I continued to, to, to wear them. Um, because they, they are such a fashion statement. They were designed to be a fashion statement. They were designed to be like a statement luxury headphone in the way that one has a statement luxury bag or statement luxury shoes. They're like or a crown. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not like literally a crown. I think that was uh, Rihanna's whole gig. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they're, 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 they are meant to be seen. Yeah. And I kind of am a dirt bag. And <laughs> I am... You know, not usually wearing any makeup, and my hair is a mess, and I've got a pair of jeans with, like, avocado stains on them, and <laughs> I could go on, you know? And so it was one of those things where I, like, I, I was, I was, I, I write about this in the review. I was going to a friend's, getting ready to go to a friend's birthday party, and I could feel, like, the headphones, like, looking at me. <laughs> like, you're going to wear that? <laughs> And it was one of those things that got me thinking about luxury creep, um, the way that we sort of like get used to things that were at one point like a total luxury, like buying a, a you know a cold pressed juice. Yes, um, and then it just becomes a, a part of your routine yes. and it becomes normal. Oh, and it's I no like luxury creep as the as the term for that. Is that did you coin I, that? No, I think the the actual term is lifestyle creep. Oh my god! Um, and that's so. like a that's that's what e- economists call oh. it. Yeah, um, but but for me it was luxury creep because you know these things are are luxury and almost nothing else in my life is right. <laughs> you feel the most expensive thing on your body like a weight, like a physical weight on you. Yeah, you know it's like um, the best way I can think of to describe it is like let's say you buy a new couch and you bring it into your house. And it's a really nice couch. And all of a sudden, like, your bedside table and your coffee table and your lamp all look really shabby yeah. next to it. Yeah. And they didn't look shabby before, but it's because that new couch is there to compare them to. But also, even outside the context of that room, you go out the next day and, like, it's like, oh, should I get a beer or should I get a $16 cocktail? And you're like, well, I'm a person who has this brand new couch in my house, so obviously I'm the kind of person who gets this $16 cocktail. It's like... <laughs> It affects yeah, everything. Exactly. Um, it, it does. And like it just it, it 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 you know, it kind of seeps into your awareness in ways that I was not at all prepared for when I signed on for this review. I <laughs> ended up writing the review in in some ways about that experience. Yeah. Because it was luxury. so bizarre. It was it was so bizarre to like have this one luxury good and like have nothing else in my life be luxurious. You know, I don't own a car. Uh the only things that I've ever dropped five hundred dollars on are like boots, <laughs> which I've worn for years and years and years and which are all, of course, now at this point scuffed up and like, yes, I shine them and take care of them, but like that's yeah. work. Um, and I, I know that there are people in the world who have nice things and are good at taking care of them because they tell me about the nice things they have and I'm like, I can't have nice things because I destroy them. I just am <laughs> a dirt bag. Like that's just my life. And they're like, well, if you do all of these, these special things, then you can keep nice things. And I'm like, right. Who has time for that? I, I don't. Who has time and for also, that? I don't. I don't think of doing the special thing until later. It doesn't occur to me that I should be like, I don't know, um, in the, like polishing the leather or whatever the leather is going to need because the leather is going to need care because it's leather. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this stuff does not occur to me. Like it's not a thing I think about. Like I'm, I'm, like 
just, I am like your quintessential absent-minded professor. Like, I had a really nice purse once, and I learned my lesson because I would drop it when I was at concerts so that I could dance, and it is huh. now wildly discolored and has a hole in it. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. that's my life. Um, so I'm a little relieved to be sending them back, even though it was nice to have like a little bit of that borrowed glamour. Because really, like they're 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 um, the world of Macintosh primas is what their name is. But everybody, including me and Vlad and everybody I talk to, has been referring to them as the Beyonce headphones. Yeah. As in, oh my God, are those the Beyonce headphones? <laughs> um, well, when when can we read this? When is this going to be on the site? Uh, I, I, I hope we're putting it up tomorrow, but if we aren't, it's going up Monday. All right, we'll look for that. Um, man, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. I want to, I want to borrow those, but you have to send them back. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> really though, the in the best. end, uh, all, all of our, all of our goods will turn to dust and, and, um, and, uh, and everything will dissolve into flames. So, um, I mean, it's okay. You know, it's, it's like in Lord of the Rings, like the only way to be free of the precious is to drop it into a volcano. So... Blessed be America for letting us purge and cleanse our souls. Join me as we eliminate evil. Purge and purify. So now that we've had our Beyonce Rainbow Chaser, it's time to get back into more fun, dark. terrifying territory terrifying territory um i want to talk about the purge series uh which i guess they can be called purge it's they can be called the purge series now or the purge franchise because there's been three of them um the new the newest entry into the series was released on friday um they've all been written and directed by james demonico uh and this new one is called the purge election year there are some pretty dark, uh, pretty on the nose, but pretty uh, effective satirical ads around it that, uh, like, make oh God. What? There's a direct call to to make America great again, and I can't remember the exact phrasing. There's an ad where everybody talks about uh, purging, like voting, like I purged, I purged, and you should purge too. This July, have your voice be heard. I purged. I purged. I purged. I purged. I purged because staying in is un-American. Don't let your freedoms get taken away. I purged because it's my civic duty. Show your support. I purged for my family. For the purge. I purged to keep my country great. The Purge Election Year. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen any of these films, Liz? Because I can, I, I, I'll go through with a summary, but I want to check first and see your purge literacy. Um, I have read reviews because I don't like horror movies because they're scary, so mm-hmm. I don't see them. Um, but the reviews that I've read make me really want to see them, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I felt this way around the last one, too. I think because they were very concurrent with... Um, with uh, the shooting in Ferguson and, and, and you know, the real kind of that first huge swell of Black Lives Matter and just seeing, like, tons of violence and chaos on television every night. And it was sort of strange to um, have this film that kind of depicts that in a heightened sort of speculative fiction way. And 
I, I it somehow I was like, oh, this isn't going to work at all. Like, it's gonna, I'm going to feel horrible watching this. It's like going to feel t- terribly timed. And each time that I think that, for some reason, these films like end up hitting harder and like like actually working better and being like almost cathartic in a way. Um, and I, I I have tried <laughs> many times to try to explain this effect. I wrote about um, the most recent film and and the series in general on The Verge, uh, which rhymes with Purge, which you can uh, which you can find on the website somewhere. Um, but so the the general conceit of the Purge films is that it's it's uh, the near future. And the country had been in uh, economic distress. Everything was everything was broken. Everything was terrible. And uh, then the government, well, the 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 government was reorganized to be uh, into a group of a, a kind of clandestine group of uh, decision makers or some kind of uh, oligarchy or something called the New Founding Fathers. And they uh, enacted this thing called the Purge, which is once a year. For 12 hours, all crime is legal and emergency services are shut off. Um, and it starts at, it starts in the evening and, and lasts all night. And then in the morning, it's over and everybody goes back uh, to their normal lives. Uh, and the, the thinking is that if, if, if all Americans get out their aggression and their anger and all of their vice in 12 hours, that's good for the year. And they can be really good, decent, upstanding people for the rest of the year. This is a ridiculous premise. Like, it would not, it would never happen. Like, it's not that kind of, it's not a kind of speculative sci-fi where you're like, oh, yeah, like, we're really close to enacting the purge. Like, that's going to happen. It's not going to happen. But at the same time, the world that it reflects is um, just a really spooky heightening of, like, what happens every day already in America. Um, um, so I just want to cut in here because I, I actually loaded up a review of this I saw on a site that is not our own. Uh, it's on GQ. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's, there's a sentence in there that, that was the thing that made me really interested in The Verge, or sorry, The Purge. <laughs> well, The um, Verge is a pretty cool site. You should check it out. True. Sometime. We should check it out, theverge.com. <laughs> um, but it, 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 so I'm just going to read this directly. Uh, the Purge, it turns out, is less about purifying American souls and more about ridding the nation of its poor and homeless, people who are obviously disproportionately killed during The Purge, though this um, idea is only lightly hinted at in the first film. Um, um, what's the published date on this? Because that's like lifted directly from my <laughs> piece. <laughs> July sixth, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, we just—that's uh, what this podcast is good for—is discovering a little bit of plagiarism. Oh, no, God. that's not. That's not a terribly. <laughs> that's not a terribly original um, thought. But it is basically what I talk about in my, um, in my piece as well. But yeah. yeah. Um, and. and I guess in the light of the recent events, especially the ones that we have just discussed and, and who, who, who's covering them and who is not and who, what lives we choose to care about as a nation, there is something that is like, this is like one of those things where there's like a mythic truth happening, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's the reaction in the theater when I saw it, which was, it was a press screening. It was, a, it was ahead of the release date, but I think they'd also, a lot of these screenings are, um, They'll have people who won radio contests and stuff in there. Like it's it's a it's a mix. It's not all critics. It's a lot of um, civilians who just get to see the <laughs> civilians who get to see the film early, and the reaction in the theater, which is the biggest theater at the um, the AMC Lowe's, uh, the Lincoln Square one, which is a big theater with a balcony and everything. I mean the the reaction to some of the stuff that happens in this film is like electrifying. It feels like. It feels the laughter at at the like absurd, ugly things that happen in it 
uh, it feels um, almost therapeutic in a way, like to hear everybody um, kind of recognize something familiar in it, recognize something that they hate and that is uh, incomprehensible in the real world, but be um, somehow so exaggerated that it becomes uh, understandable in in the Purge films. I mean, that's sort of... Um, well, I want to go back a little bit to the point about um, about the purge being a, a mechanism to actually cleanse America of its poor and, and minority population because that is something that definitely happens in the second film, uh, the purge anarchy. Um, I'm so up on my purge my purge lore, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, what's interesting is that the first purge film, which is a great film in its own right and very different from these last two is entirely it takes place entirely in um a suburban home an upper middle class white family's home um and that's it's through them that like audiences were first introduced to the idea of the purge and it's what we see of the rest of the world what we see of people who can't afford you know armored security systems and like gated communities and stuff to protect themselves from all this chaos outside is all in news clips and and stuff on TV and we get only the slightest hint of like this the horrors that are happening to uh the poor population to the minority population in this sort of dystopian future um and then most of the action in that first film centers around the fact that a uh like a homeless or I don't know if he's supposed to be homeless but he's he's not protected and he he has been like he's been captured by a group of um vicious wasps that i guess are their neighbors in in their um their neighbor their gated community and he's escaped them and is on their lawn and asking for sanctuary in their home and they take him in and then because they're protecting him they become targets for their neighbors who want to kill the black man um (laughs) it's like it's so over the top these films like they're so so crazily over the top that I think that's what we're there's nothing subtle about them there's nothing subtle about satire but I feel like the things it's it's addressing don't like subtlety isn't really gonna work with them you know well it hasn't worked so far no um I yeah I mean this this most recent film I think uh it has the least purging. It's really gone from being, like, purging, I mean, like, these sequences where people wearing rubber masks and carrying chainsaws drive up on somebody and just are like, we're going to cleanse ourselves. And up until this film, most of those groups of people are, are um, the ones that we've seen who are characterized as the most evil are all rich white people. It should be noted. Um this one has a little less of that and is more about this overall movement to end the purge, um, that there's, like, a national sentiment that, like, enough is enough and this is bad for us, and um, which, again, feels super, super current. I mean, I don't know. I I likened it to a, a more specific kind of zombie film in my review, uh, something that feels a little more timely, Uh but I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't call it a horror film, though, Liz. I wouldn't let that stop you. It's more, like, there are a few jump scares, but it's not, it's more a really gory, uh, suspense, sort of speculative sci-fi action film. Like, they're gory, for sure. But Yeah. I mean, I can probably deal with gore. It's, like, the tension that just makes me nuts. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I always find 
there's so much to chew on in it that, like, I don't know. You kind of see all the beats coming. It's really very, like, the films are pretty, pretty conventional in most, in many ways, but the stuff, the social stuff and, like, the satire such as it is is so crazy, uh, that I feel like there's always something there to get my attention. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this the, this most recent film, Election Year, is kicked off by the fact that this, the, 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 uh, the likely frontrunner or the likely winner of this presidential election is this woman, the senator, who's running on an anti-purge platform. And the powers that be are like, this cannot happen, so they send... They modify a rule in the purge. It says you can kill uh, uh, public officials and you can kill people in the government, which has always been a loophole in it. And they they modify that. They lift that. And then when purge night comes, they use it as an excuse to go and try to assassinate her. Uh, <laughs> I guess one of the things that I'm, I'm I find myself very curious about is you know the interplay and you deal with this a little bit in your review between like the critique of violence and the absolute amount of violence shown. Yeah, and it's like a tired critique, but like it, it, you know, it keeps coming up because I think there might be a point to it. Yeah, I mean that's the biggest that's the biggest argument you can make against these films is like, oh, if you're going to be so smart about violence in America, why are you perpetuating a culture of violence in America by having a very very violent film? Um, and I don't have an argument against. Like, I don't have. I don't. I'm not necessarily here to defend. Yeah, the huge no, amount I'm- of. Yeah, I, I guess for me it's just like this was this was part of what I found off-putting about the the trailers. Um, mm-hmm. Is that like a lot of it is like, and it's gonna be really crazy, and I I am generally not there for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I I feel like it's an interesting discussion you get in when you talk. You just talk about is it now a political act to have or not have a gun in a film um, because right. they're, like, almost ambient at this point. They're in so many films. Like, I don't even think about it most of the time. I'm just like, yeah, there's a gun in that film. A gun in that film. Like, Jason Bourne movie, yeah, it's going to have lots of guns in it. Uh, and uh, We don't ha- allow cigarettes in our films, though. Right, yeah. But, like, th- this is actually a story. This happened a couple um, a couple weeks ago, Addie Robertson wrote a nice write-up on it. Um, there's an LGBT, um, I guess, con. I, I don't know if it's a specific genre that it's around, but it, cosplay is a huge part of it. And they, uh, for this year, which their event was happening basically right on the heels of the Orlando shooting. And they had a kind of rule for that year. For, for um, or They made a statement that said, we're not going to allow... Um, guns at all, uh, prop guns in cosplay. And this is very difficult because so many pop culture properties that people cosplay have guns. Um, Sometimes they're not super realistic guns. Sometimes they're giant bazookas like the size of a person. Uh, But they're there. And and sometimes they're a part of the character design. And um, it it turns into a very interesting discussion about... um, how how much uh, reflecting and 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 being a fan of these properties that are built on violence, however fantastical or cartoonish, um, how much that is interwoven with the actual real life fifty people dead in a dance club violence that we um, 
that we are living with now. And I don't know. I have no idea how I feel about it. Just as somebody who's just grown up watching genre films as long as I can remember. I mean, I guess Star Trek found a nice way around it. Like, phasers are very polite. There's no trigger on a... I mean, there is a trigger, but it's not held like a gun, you know? It looks like you're holding up a calculator to somebody. (laughs) Well, you know, it didn't always used to be this way, is is part Mm -hmm. of it. Um, And I'll get back to that in a second. But uh, one of the things... One of the arguments, I guess, that I could could see in favor of violence in something like The Purge is that you are doing a bait-and-switch on your audience. They're coming to see the ha-ha fun like melee and they are instead getting a social satire um because the people who are going to go see the social satire have already been converted so there's I, I can see that argument but i will say like i am currently re-watching murder she wrote that was how i celebrated july 4th <laughs> toto and murder she wrote yeah yeah girl <laughs> Um, and one of the things that was really striking to me is that I have been watching the first season, and I think I must have gotten about eight or nine episodes in before somebody had a gun, and that was a plot point. Wow. On Murder, She Wrote. On Murder, She Wrote. It's literally called Murder, She Wrote. It's literally about, like, a a crime fiction lady who solves murders, and the gun as a plot point was not, like, there were, like, there were guns that were murder weapons, for sure. But, like, you mostly didn't see them fired. And, like, the, the first time that a bl- the gun became a plot point, it was because a bodyguard was threatening um, Jessica Fletcher into getting on a plane to meet with um, the widowed, uh, well, the widow of the, the murder victim. Hmm. That's, that was the first gun. Yeah. Like, the first serious gun. Um, and, like, even in the, like, the, the bizarre two-part pilot, which is super weird and I highly recommend, it's uh, really campy, um, and the second part, you know, Jessica Fletcher is alone at the murder at the murderer's estate, confronting the murderer, and he has a rack of guns behind him, and he thinks about it, and she's like, "Oh, don't bother." And that's it. That's enough. <laughs> and it was like it was the standards were different. There was a time yeah. when this was different. It wasn't always like this. It doesn't always have to be like this. You know, well, there well, are other ways to write it. I think there's always this line of like, well, you know, ladies are always into these super lurid mystery novels and stuff, you know, going back to Agatha Christie or even before then, like that's, that's, that's been a thing. That's been a thing that women are into, like in general, like that they market these books towards, towards female readers a lot. And I think there's a huge difference between being interested um, or curious or, or have that kind of morbid fascination with death as opposed to violence. I think those are two very different things. I think I think in many ways it's very natural to like have a morbid streak or be like like, you know, want to know about like you know, be interested in a story that centers around a death or like um a dead body or something like that. Like that seems sort of almost human and like biological to be like, "Oh, what's that about?" Like it makes me feel weird. Um versus a story where people are blasting each other's heads off with guns. Like, that, you know, both end in death, but uh, one, the focus is on something else, I feel like. I don't know. There was a time when Quentin Tarantino was very controversial because of all of the violence he depicted and the way that he glorified it, and that's just what the culture is now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh... Yeah, I, I watched what did I I watched Battle Royale recently, like semi I, I, I watch it every few years just because it's like it's like a popcorn movie and it's like very like when I'm sick I can watch I know this sounds maybe horrifying to some people, but it's like I, that movie reads to me as so much more like a teen 
angst movie than a violence movie. But then I was watching it with somebody who'd never seen it before. I was like, holy shit. Like, this movie is so bananas. And it's so, and it, you know, obviously, like, Tarantino took so much from that, especially for, like, Kill Bill and stuff. Like, the splatter stuff that's very hyper-realistic. Doesn't have much to do with actual real gore or 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 viscera. But, um, but yeah, yeah, now that's just everywhere. Now that's, I mean... When Battle Royale came out, which was like 2000, it was so famous because it was like, this will never be shown in the United States. It's so violent. And because it was right after, um, right after Columbine. And it was about, you know, kids with guns. And uh, kids who are literally set out to murder each other until only one survives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is like, actually, the, the premise of Battle Royale is not that different from The Purge. Like, it's the same sort of setup. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and now and now like The Hunger Games is was like the most popular uh <laughs> teen property and of of the the late aughts. Like it's it's just it took that long for it to be normalized. So um I don't I I don't have like I the thing is I just don't feel like I can say like yes, this is okay and this isn't. Like put some line down. It's and and I I am always questioning my my interest in and uh <laughs> like deep, flawed affection for the Purge films because I know that there's something sort of wrong about it, um, but also I feel like there's something really valuable culturally about them that's, you know, again, not subtle at all, but like an artifact of where we are right now that's really compelling to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the ways that, like, watching old movies... And watching old TV shows can be very valuable. It reminds you, it gives you, it gives you a different cultural moment where the norms were different. Like you watch the code pictures, right? And nobody's mm-hmm. making out. Like there's not even, like the closest you get is like Albert Hitchcock's very unsubtle um, train into a tuttle metaphor at the mm-hmm. end of uh, what is it, <laughs> North by Northwest. Yeah. Um, so Hot you know, you, you know, like, yes, sex. But like, it's not depicted on screen. We never see it, you know. And like the closest we get is that Cary Grant is a little handsy. <laughs> okay, yeah. and like you know, and then think about like something like uh, Nine and a Half Weeks, um, or any of a number of other more recent films, and the way that we we treat it differently. Now, I'm not saying that the way that the oh the good old days we should go back to code. Like that's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm just trying to say that if 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 we want to have some perspective about where we are as a culture and what we're doing and what kinds of art we produce, it might be useful to sometimes to look at the kinds of things we used to produce and see how they stack up just to see like as a point of comparison, I guess, like, yeah. where we've traveled, where we've gone. Yeah. And you know, you'll see that a lot of things have changed for the better and maybe some things have gotten like, there's not as much room for certain kinds of entertainment anymore. If it doesn't involve, you know, a franchise or something fantastical or violence or, you know. But, I mean, I think as much, yeah, I I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I've really actually, this is the reason I've been reading Purge Reviews, is that I, I like watching people have to wrestle with this because I don't have a solution. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Um, and I don't really think anybody does. And I think that if anybody tells you they have a solution, they, they probably are not right. Um, but watching people struggle with it and figure out like how to how to deal with this and what this cultural moment means, I think I think that's that's worthwhile. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. I know it was a little bit of a downer week, but you know, we just we it just was a downer week. It's, it's a downer week. week. There's no way around <laughs> it. Um, yeah. 
we will be back next week, hopefully, with some better news. Um, and, yeah, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Emily Yoshida, and Liz is at Miss Lopato, M.S. Lopato. You can leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please do that. It's so nice. Um, please tell us how much we're saying, um, uh, like, just Please constantly. tell me how many times I say like and how much you hate it. Um, and you can like. you can find us on Spotify on your phone on Spotify mobile and you can find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Verge ESP and we will be back next week we'll talk to you then bye bye